You're listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast, episode 17. Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Hi, Phil here, and welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, where I chat with inspiring IT professionals, consultants, and experts every week. To find out more about the podcast, visit itcareerenergizer.com. And now let's chat with today's featured guest, Paul Gerard. Paul is an internationally renowned and award-winning software engineering consultant, author, and coach. He is also host of the Assurance Leadership Forum, as well as being a regular keynote speaker. So, Paul, can you expand on that rather brief bio? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I guess to start at the beginning is uh, my intention when I uh, left school was never to be in IT at all. And uh, my father was an engineer and I kind of intended to follow in his footsteps. So I did a kind of engineering degree and uh, just uh, there is a method in this madness to right. explain why I'm going to this. Uh, level of uh, uh, detail in ancient history. But I did a, an engineering degree in civil engineering and I got a job in a, a consulting engineers firm. And when I arrived at my desk, uh, I was told by the partner, well, we've no work for you today, uh, but we've just had this computer delivered. Here's the manuals. There's a desk. Go and have a play. See what you can do with it and come and tell us what we can achieve with it. So I was given almost no engineering uh, kind of uh, work to do for the period in my first job at all. So I became, as soon as I learned how to use a computer, uh, I was uh, obviously the world's expert in the office. So, yes. And I, and it was, it was kind of my my fate was decided for me. So, going from uh, an engineering company where I was doing the, uh, I was like the, the on-site computer expert, if you like. I went to a bigger firm, uh, I have to say, into their IT department or uh, I think DP department, as it was called in those days, of course, um, and became a programmer. Uh, and then from there, I went into a proper data processing business. And from there, I became a contractor. So I, I kind of did very little. I did a little bit of engineering. And there's, there's a, a very good story. I may be able to relate to you a bit later. But um, my track record of engineering was really quite short. And I was almost pigeonholed into IT almost instantly. So as I traversed uh, engineering to uh, programming, let's, let's say, in about four years, for the next four years, I was... Um, kind of a developer in various uh, roles. And then I became a, uh, I was a contractor for a company called uh, Mercury Communications. So I don't know if you remember when the telecoms uh, market was deregulated, you know, BT being the monopoly, yes. it was uh, broken up, of course. So I worked for uh, Mercury for about seven, seven and a half years or something. And uh, it was interesting. It was a fascinating thing to have done because when I started, I was like number 200 and something on the payroll. And when I left, there were about 12,000. So it was like um, a startup on steroids, if you like. Uh, I mean, I know a 200-person company isn't really a startup in, in, in today's money, but um, what I learned from that experience was how to network, how to politic. It was a very political organization in, in, in various uh, ways. Um, how, to, how to be adaptable as well. And dare I say... Um, I, looking back, 
a lot of the activities I, I found myself falling into naturally, I, I think nowadays you just call them agile, you know. So uh, I work with, you know, on-site customer. We had paper prototypes, you know, we did prototyping. We did regular stand-ups, sit-downs, whatever. We had a, like a daily meeting because I was working uh, on the customer site directly. Um, we, we kind of didn't take life too seriously, so we built what we thought would we needed to build in the next uh, week or two weeks. I, I kind of felt at the time that it was kind of chaotic, but looking back, it was probably a, a good case story, a good case history for uh, an agile team taking off. So we were just finding our feet and, uh, and using technologies as well. So we used, uh, you know, in the day, things like a language sensitive editor, if you like, an IDE of the time. We did uh, source code management. We did we did actually automated testing. We used a thing, used a thing called Deck Test Manager, which was a terribly crude uh, mechanism for running automated tests because it didn't have a script language at all. It was a straightforward replay of content, which you just fired off at your system and a test and so on. Yeah. Um, but all these things uh, kind of gave me a fantastic background you know, for the first sort of uh, eight or nine years of my career. And then I became a contractor with a company called System of LET, which was like a boutique testing services business. And since 1992, when that was, um, I've kind of been into testing services ever since. So uh, I'm rather long in the tooth and probably more experienced than I really ought to admit. <laughs> but um, uh, one of the problems I have when people ask me what I do or what I did, I say, well, where do you want to start? And uh, the problem is, that the, well, I say it's a problem. The fantastic experience and fun I've had over the last 25 or 35 years nearly um, is that I've had such a varied kind of uh, existence. You know, I, I, I uh, have great difficulty answering when people say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, which, which year do you want to talk about? You know, <laughs> I, I honestly feel that I, every year I've kind of got bored and found myself into another interesting kind of project or situation or whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, I, at any rate, um, the kind of stuff I do today is, I think, as you said, I'm kind of a testing, let's say, expert. I hate the word guru, but what the hell? Um, I promote myself mostly through conference work and I do coaching, mentoring um, and occasional kind of process improvement kind of jobs. Not as many as I used to. I'm a technologist at heart. I'm a programmer at heart, really. So. I used to say I write some code every day. Now it's probably I write some code every week. Uh, but at heart, I'm a techie, but I've got a, a bit of a knack of getting on with people and having the interpersonal skills to uh, do problem solving and that kind of stuff as well. So I've, uh, my, my experience has been driven by people uh, picking up the phone and calling me and saying, we've got a problem that no one seems to either want to solve or can solve. And that's probably accounting for my wider experience than um, I feel a lot of people have. Okay. Can you share with us a unique career tip that the IT career energizer audience need to know and probably don't? Oh, now, now that's a really tricky one because, um, I mean, there's probably, because I coach, I do coach people, you know, seriously, and I've uh, there's probably been a dozen or so people over the years. I've given them career advice, but I have to say, and I think it's a question you might throw at me a bit later, is, is what's, what's the best bit of advice I ever received? Well, the problem I have is I've never had career advice because I've always, I've always been so full of myself to, to, <laughs> to kind of bounce that kind of thing off. Um, and apart from that, I've, because I've been, my last permanent role with a company was in 1983. So 
Uh, I am so far out of date with how, quote, permanent people uh, think and operate and uh, experience life that actually I don't have advice. But but I can I can say one thing. Uh, so I, I know you're going to press me on this. Is that there's two or three times in my life over the last, uh, oh, how many years, uh, not to dwell on it. Um, there were two or three periods where I thought, well, I really need to focus on one aspect in order to make progress or progress as I perceived it in my business. I would rather say business than career in that respect. And what happened in about, I think it was about 1996, there was a change in the uh, way I, I, I worked and I took ownership, if you like, of the running of a small business that I worked for at the time, Revolut for the time. And my goal then was to say, well, if the business doesn't succeed and I make a real hash of it, um, I want to have a name, a brand, a personal brand. I want to be known out there. So if I say, look, this business hasn't worked, I'm going to walk away from that, that I can go out into the marketplace and people will say, ah, it's Paul Gerard and we know who he is and what he talks about and what he's about. So the, so the word that sort of focused my mind was this notion of influence. So I set out in 1996 to, in five years, have influence over some community or populace, if you if you like, in the yep. IT in the IT world, so that if business I was supposedly trying to lead failed, and I don't know if I thought about that terribly seriously, but it definitely focused my mind, and so my entire kind of energies were about finding work and business and stuff like that, of course. But in parallel, the marketing goal was to become known, was to very definitely become, um, I nearly said a household name, and clearly that's a nonsensical <laughs> thing to say. But, but in the world of testing, I had this as a goal, and I wanted to be known, and I wanted to be influential, and it drove me very directly. Now, this is probably completely useless to most other people, but to me, that's what drove me and was my motivation to do almost everything I did. You know, I wanted to set myself apart as someone who could uh, answer almost any question in testing, who could take on any kind of testing project. And again, this sounds terribly arrogant, but that's what was in my mind. And I was very driven by this notion of, of influencing people and being influential, if you like. So yeah. I can't say that that's a good goal for most people. If it floats your boat, go for it. But that's what floated my boat at the time. And I have to say, I still feel the same way in that I get great fulfillment out of having conversations where people say, oh, that's a good idea. Or I never thought about that. Or, ah, I must try this. Or years later, people coming back and saying, thanks for that little piece of advice, because now I understand what you were talking about and I've just caught up and and I get this kind of feedback and it's the most tremendous thing you know you can't buy it you know it's um so it, it's worked for me you know whether I've been successful I couldn't possibly say but I've been success I've been successful in kind of building a brand now yes I'm, I'm the world's worst marketer at exploiting my brand <laughs> that way. But I have a brand. So people do say, oh, yeah, I've heard of you or, you know, and, and we kind of had the little conversation as well. I've been very successful at building a brand. I usually tell people I'm the world's worst marketer because I don't exploit it in the way that maybe it could be possible. And I, yeah. I kind of uh, fall flat on that one. Okay. Influence is the word that drives me. 
Can you tell us about your worst IT career moment <laughs> and what you learned from that experience? Oh, good heavens. Um, I think I said before to you that I'm a great believer in that bad experience is good experience. Even if you yes. work on the world's worst project from hell and it goes terribly wrong, there are things to learn. And so maybe I'm a glass half full person and, and that's my perspective on life. I don't know. Um, but there was a, a project. Oh, it's probably uh, eight or ten years ago now where I was asked by the MD of a software product business to take a look at testing and his brief was basically I don't know what my testing team does it was a very successful business a medium, you know, medium sized you know, you know 35 50 million pounds a year kind of turnover so pretty successful you know in that regard yeah. but not a big company you know they were making a lot of money but not with a huge uh, number of people so I guess it was successful in that regard and the MD uh, or CEO, I can't remember his title now, uh, asked me to talk to the global head of quality, go and dig and see what's going on and just take a view on how they could improve in one respect, but also to say whether they're doing a good job. Yes or no. So, OK, so I start with the, the head of, global head of QA. Oh, sorry, one last thing. The, the CEO sort of said, I need to know whether I should fire the global head of testing. Right. It was kind of a brief that I wasn't used to, and probably I was a bit naive. But anyway, I thought, uh-huh, okay, um, yes, thank you, I'll, I'll take a look. So uh, anyway, so I interviewed the global head of QA, and his response to me, my mere presence was to basically say things like, I don't know why you're here, everything's hunky-dory, I don't know what your problem is, you know, uh, I'm not interested. I got absolutely nothing out of him. Uh-huh. So that was that. Okay, so next I meet the, the uh, head of QA in London. Uh, there are two sites, London and New York. Um, and in London, I interviewed this lady. And uh, she said, I don't know why you're here. What's the problem? You know, why are you doing this? And I said, well, the CEO basically said to me that he doesn't know what you guys do. He doesn't know what testing does for him and his business. And the lady said, oh, that makes me want to resigned right now and she burst into tears so okay so i was kind of okay what do i do give her a hug or just you know what i you know it was really kind of an awful kind of uh, moment and yeah. she kind of uh, pulled herself together and and you know was absolutely fine in the end and we had a good conversation in the end but she just had no idea that this perception was what it was and that was that so then i flew over to new york and met the uh, u.s kind of head of qa and had a similar but not quite as extreme reaction. Like, I don't know why you're here. You know, so I'm thinking, well, why am I here? You know, what's going on here? And uh, I dug a bit deeper, and then it turned out that they, I mean, the, the three people, you know, all kind of talked themselves into thinking that uh, everything was hunky-dory. But when I actually met the testers and the test leads, they were very cautious about speaking to me. But it was quite apparent, you know, with certainly a couple of the guys uh, said, oh, yeah, it's not as rosy as it's been made out to you. There's some real issues. We're taking on far too much work. We really don't know what we're doing. And, and it was like a really bleak picture beneath the level of the, of the, if you like, the management. And so I went back to the CEO and gave her, you know, did a formal report and this, that and the other. Uh, and I don't know if he asked me whether I should suggest that the he fired the global QA manager, whatever he was called. Um, but I should have said that, and I didn't. And I regret doing that, because I think he probably had extreme stress and was coping with it in a, in a not a healthy way, let's say. And there was this unhealthy 
lack of communication between, if you like, the senior stakeholder and his testing QA, you know, part of his business. Yeah. Um, and I kind of almost switched off and uh, regret not being brutal about it, which I think might have been the better thing to do. And uh, rather, I just said, well, these are the, you know, 25 ideas I've got that you might look to improve. And here's the top five that I think would have the most impact. Yeah. And, and, and it didn't seem to me like this was a good uh, recommendation. And so that was kind of not a good career moment, let's say, for me. I felt like I failed him and, and the company, you know, and I do recall that, uh, you know, sometime later the guy was fired and there was a reshuffle and reorganization and so on and so forth. But I kind of regret not thinking my client actually knew what he was asking. I thought I knew better. You know, you, you get into this mode as a consultant, you think, well, I know better than my clients and that's not safe. And uh, I've not done that too often, but on that occasion, I think I did. That wasn't very good. I tend to agree with what you said before you, you went into the story, that although we talk about worst IT moments, there is always the opportunity to learn from those experiences. And I feel personally that you tend to learn more from projects that have extreme challenges and you may feel are, are not the most successful than the ones that potentially go more smoothly. Sure. I mean, there's a case to be made, and I've said this to people over the years, that actually you don't learn from doing it right. You learn yeah. from doing it wrong. You know, if you're doing it right, you already know the stuff, you know, <laughs> yes. unless you are gambling, which is you know, something not to be recommended too often. But when you when you discover that you've dug a hole for yourself, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and uh, you how, how to behave in the future. Yeah. So, so I'm a great believer in bad experience is good experience. Moving on from your worst moment, can you share with us your IT career highlight or greatest success and how you're able to achieve it? Well, the job that comes to mind, and I, and I probably bore people who, who know me, who are listening, if, if, if there are people who know me who are listening, but I talk quite strongly about uh, a project I did with BP. Again, it's probably about eight or nine, uh, ten years ago, maybe now, where I was hired to be the assurance manager for a uh, an SAP project where the BP oil trading business were ripping out uh, this is not the word I would, they would use, but they, they were ripping out Oracle financials and putting in SAP to run the finances of their oil trading business globally. And what became apparent to me as I rocked up on site on day one was uh, BP make a lot more money, as far as I understood at the time, uh, they make a lot more money out of oil trading than they do from selling oil out of pumps or getting it out of the ground or anything in between. And in fact, you know, as the as the oil is extracted and transported across the Atlantic or the Pacific in a tanker, it's bought and sold 20 times. And you could say stuff that's free out of the ground, which I know it's not, but stuff that's free out of the ground is so expensive because it's a commodity that is traded. And so the business that BP were sort of um, uh, moving towards SAP, so lots of things became apparent. So I thought, well, I, my role was to if you like, oversee the testing on a project that was, there was a two-year project that was running a year late. And when I got involved, there was a year to go, if you like, but it, it had already run for more than a year already. At any rate, I thought, well, this is quite a major role. And I had a, I had a reporting line to the financial controller for the EMEA uh, oil trading business, which is a, I don't know, several tens of billions of pound business. So very senior role. So I was kind of, Oh, okay, I can do this, I think, being my arrogant 
kind of himself. And when I was introduced to the project directory, he sort of said, uh, right, Paul, we need a job description. Can you just go and figure something out? So I thought, okay. So I wrote about a page and a half job spec. And I took it back to him about two hours later. And he said, no, 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 no it's too long. I cut it down. Uh, okay. So I went away and I cut it down to about uh, two thirds of a page or something like that. He said, no, 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 you're not getting this. You've got two PowerPoint bullets and that's it. Uh, okay. So my role, as it turned out, for this project that if it went wrong, I was told the price of oil would be affected. So no pressure then. The, the two bullets were these. The first one was Paul has no responsibility for delivery. So I thought, aha, I like that a lot. But the second one was I'm accountable for the quality of the testing throughout the program. And there were something like eight or ten projects all in to do integration and all sorts of things with this uh, SAP module uh, in the center of it. And that was the, the challenge I had. So I was accountable for, for the testing throughout the program, but half the testing had already been done because the project was already a year late. So my role was to stand aside from the rest of the project to sit on the board for the duration of the project. And when the project reported, uh, as it did once every six weeks for a full day, and basically reported for two or three hours saying, this is the status of all the projects, the program risks, da 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 my job was basically to say, and they're not lying. But in order to say that, I had to dig and dig and dig and find out what was going on throughout the program, which I did. And essentially, my role was kind of part consultant and saying, I really think you should do this, this and this, because in three months time, I'm going to be checking that you've done this, this and this. And I'll be telling the board whether you have done this, this and this and whether you've done it well and so on and so forth. And so this was um, it was like a thousand man year project overall. So on the one hand, I didn't manage anybody, but I had influence, this is the word I used before, yeah. over how the program behaved, and authority to say yes or no. This project, you know, I think if I'd said, you know, the, the, the testing was not acceptable and there were real gaps and holes and uh, errors and omissions and all this kind of stuff, you know, in principle, I could have said the project cannot go live. As it was, I said the testing was... Uh, exemplary, I think was the word I used. You know? Oh, right. You know, so I had a very positive experience. And then I crossed my fingers that actually nothing went wrong uh, when it did go live. <laughs> but, but, but as far as I know, it went live uh, okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there were dozens of workarounds and stuff like that. But I found the whole business, the whole BP business, as a very humane company, you know, very people-oriented, you know, in that regard. And very sensible, you know, not mad like some financial services business and banks and can be good um <laughs> what one thing excites you about the future of a career in it well it's a troublesome one for me this again all your questions are hard for me because i don't think this way <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i think that over the course of my career i've been very lucky to work on the diversity of things that i have yeah and i don't mean just the diversity of projects you know so you know, whether it's large or small, highly technical or business oriented or whatever. But but the, the businesses, the scale, the technologies, and of course, technologies have changed over the last 25, 30 years. The people you deal with, the degree of politics, whether it's government versus uh, financial services or retail, whether it's a startup, whatever. I think that the, the exciting thing for me has been the diversity of the things I've worked on. Yep. So my what excites me about the future 
is that it is possible if you volunteer to do things, right? And that's the big caveat. If you volunteer to do unusual things, you are in a very good position to take on a very diverse range of activities, learning all the time and meeting great people and not some not so great people, but uh, accumulating experience at a fantastic rate. I'm reminded, and it's probably not a very happy kind of analogy, but it's a bit like being in wartime where the most remarkable things happen in wartime because you know, needs must. Yeah, and if you are prepared to commit to courses of action in you know, a field of battle or a software project, which sometimes feels like a field of battle, you get the experience thick and fast. It comes at you like you know, nobody's business. So what I have enjoyed and what I continue to enjoy and look forward to is the diversity of, of people, projects, technologies, businesses you know it's just different every day almost so yep. that's what i find exciting i have to say i'm going to go into the reveal round so what attracted you to a career in it in the first place um well nothing because i wanted to be an engineer <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it was completely accidental yeah and, and yeah from what i just said a, a minute ago i stuck with it because of the variety and diversity and uh, i've had a lot of fun on it okay what is the best career advice you've ever received? You were waiting for that question. I was waiting for that question. And my answer is I'm not sure I've ever had any. Right. I cannot think, I'm, I'm probably doing someone a great disservice, but I cannot think of anyone giving me career advice. I mean, the worst advice, I can tell you what the worst advice I had is when I went to university, I went to Oxford. And um, after a couple of years, I'm in the third year, and I go to the careers office to get some advice. And there was some chap, I'm sure he was well-meaning and very smart and, you know, uh, knew what he was up to. But he was like, a, he was like um, Lieutenant Commander something something retired. And uh, he said, right, Paul, you know, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm doing a degree in uh, engineering science. He said, oh, right, well, it's the Navy for you. And that was it. <laughs> and I walked out thinking, oh, my God, do I have to join the bloody Navy? Uh, yes. Which I clearly didn't. Uh, so that was the worst advice, and that was at university. So I do recall that, co that short conversation very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you want to do? Oh, again, this is a tough one. Um, I think the guiding light I have and would continue to have and hope to continue to have is that I keep my eye open for interesting opportunities and things that are different. So I try and understand uh, and figure out what the next big thing is, if you like, in IT or business, perhaps. Yeah. And then say, well, OK, so how does that affect me? How does that affect people around me? How does that affect people who I might be able to call clients in the future? For example, going way back when client server was the next big thing, I figured out how client server changed what we did as software testers and software engineers and created a, a training course for software testing in client server. Yep. When the internet came along, because I, I had this background of client server stuff, I came up with a, a friend of mine, we came up with a five-day class in software testing in uh, the internet. And one little thing to drop in straight away is, uh, I think the biggest change in industry that's happened before mobile and the digital thing now was client-server. Internet was not a big change. Internet is simply an instance of client-server. The move to distributed computing was a much bigger step change than the Internet. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way, 
and emotionally doesn't feel that way. But I think technically, client server was a much bigger deal than um, uh, the internet when it came along. Yeah. So, so my advice, if you like, if I, oh, my advice to myself is to continue volunteering to take on things that people say, oh, no one knows about that. Well, that's, that to me is an opportunity to go and do a bit of research, play around with some tools on one of my servers and to discover what, you know, containerization is about, you know, Docker, yeah. that kind of stuff, which I did two years ago, you know. So I, it's not a terribly interesting subject, but I can talk about it, if you know what I mean. Yes. So, so, and I understand its potential and its fantastic potential as well. But it's just a piece of technology. And to me, it's about looking forward to things that are going to cause people problems in the future because then there's an edge you've got over other people. And the other thing is to volunteer, you know, just yes. volunteer. Yeah. Step forward when other people don't, you know, and say, I'll take a look at that. I'll do some reading. I'll do some research. I'll write a paper. I'll do a talk whatever uh so i tend to still do that because that's fun i mean i i really enjoy doing that because it's a, such a gratifying thing to have people say oh i've learned a lot from you today and you think oh it's fantastic yes thanks, thanks very much i love doing that so that's, that's my advice then that's my uh, how i would continue to do my career as opposed to how in the future yeah <laughs> so what career objectives are you focusing on right now well, I've made a list, and the problem is, I, I know, I've done far too many things. You know, like, on the one hand, I, I'm older, okay? So it must have come over by now that I must be 109. So retirement possibly beckons. And it's one of these things that you think, as a, as a kid, you think, I'll never retire, I'll never retire. I'll never. Yes. Decade, by decade, you say, I'll never retire. But now I'm thinking, you know what? I'd love to not have the pressure of having to earn a living, but carry on doing the research kind of thing. I'd still love to do that. I'd still love to write code. So the things I'm actually doing is I'm still writing code or I'm about to, I've shelved some work I did last year and I'm going to pick it up again next week or the week after where I'm working on a, a, a bot to support paired testing. So I'm using uh, an Echo Dot and Alexa, Amazon's Alexa, oh, yeah. to act as a pair tester, if you like. So you speak to the bot, a bit like, um, uh, I don't know if you heard that, but Alexa just woke up because I said her name. <laughs> in the background shut up um <laughs> so it's a bit like a, a an autopsy you know where you have you know the doctor's got his hands in the body covered in blood can't possibly take notes speaks to a microphone it gets transcribed so on and so forth if you like a tester who is exploring some software testing and doing you know going about their business to have a pair who will take notes remember what you've said build the models capture it in a computer system and use the knowledge of what's in that database in the computer system, use that knowledge to prompt you to do other things, to search for things, to try things, to give you advice, to remind you about your mission and so on and so forth. So I'm working on that. I've written a few small pocket books and one big book, but I might write a book on uh, Python for testers this year or not this year. It might be the tail end of this year. I might start it. Yeah. That's kind of a back burner thing. I've created over the course of the last six months four new classes, which were all one-offs. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think other people might find these useful. So I'm going to write a series of blogs uh, introducing the problem that these clients had and then say, and by the way, here's my class. Maybe it will help you. So I'm going, to, I'm going to do that. I've volunteered as a business coach in Macclesfield, where I moved to in December last year, just to make some friends and network up here in the north. 
and, and actually looking at uh, non-exec and coach mentor roles as well. So I'm, I'm less focused on doing consulting, which is basically my most of my career, but uh, I'm looking at doing smaller pieces in a diverse way, some of it voluntarily. We'll see where that takes me. All right. What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Well, I wrote something down. I wrote a single bullet. It's communication skills. Yeah. Listening, writing, presenting. It's as simple as that. Okay. Can you share a parting piece of advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? I think I've said it. Yeah. The thing to me is to you could you could put it in these in this kind of frame. In that, uh, my suggestion would be when you're working with other people, you know, your career is not yours. Your career is a team effort between you and your network and your family and so on and so forth. Previous and future colleagues and the technology and the businesses you're working with. It's a team effort. So to me, it's uh, the two things I would say is go the extra mile, under promise, over deliver, that kind of idea. Yeah. And, and the second one, which keeps coming back to me in my head, is to volunteer. Just say you, you can just have the confidence to say that you can do things that other people aren't willing to do. And whether it's, uh, it's cleaning the drains or it's leading the project to the moon, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what the role is. Uh, if your project needs you, you've got to step forward and take that need on. Head, yeah. head on. No, I totally agree with that. Yes, volunteering definitely makes a big difference. Yeah, I think so. And finally, can you tell us the best way that we can uh, connect with you or find out more about you? I'm on Twitter. So my, my handle is Paul underscore Gerard. My email address, I think you're going to publish this anyway, is paul at gerardconsulting.com. Yeah. Um, if you drop me an email or you get in touch, uh, I can point you at how to get a, a free copy of my latest book, which is called Digital Assurance, which is a pocketbook, about 100 pages uh, or so. CA sponsored it, but I wrote it. Okay, it's my book in that regard. Yeah. But CA will give you a free copy if you simply register on their website. So I can point you at that. Okay. Maybe you take the link, Phil. Yeah, we'll include it on the show notes page. Yeah. Up to you. But it's. Uh, I hope it's a worthwhile exercise. Share your email address to get a copy of a, a hard copy of a book. Paul, thank you so much for being on the IT Career Energizer podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Pleasure. I, I had fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's great interview with Paul Gerrard. Four show notes can be found on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e17. And while you're at the website, you can download your free copy of 11 top career tips for IT professionals, many of which have been previously discussed on the show. In next week's episode, I'll be talking with Robert C. Martin, author of several books on extreme programming, and the initiator of the group that created Agile Software Development from Extreme Programming Techniques. If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and review in iTunes or Stitcher about the show. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.